Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Cop Father. I'm Craig Bromell. Interesting times coming up. Always interesting with law enforcement, but there is an election coming up. Full out board election for the Toronto Police Association. Nominations are tomorrow, September 21st. The position of president of the Toronto Police Association was one of the most powerful positions in the city, in the province, really. And again, that was even before me and people that came after me. It really, you're in the top three or four in the city. The position is incredibly powerful if you want it to be. You are front page news. Policing in Toronto, like any jurisdiction out there, it's a negative news business. You are protecting police officers and your civilian members on a daily basis, dozens of times a day. I think there was between 2,500 and 3,911 calls per day, per 24-hour period in the city. And a lot of things can happen with law enforcement during that time. One of the candidates running for president of the Toronto Police Association, and a very good friend of mine, full disclosure, Andrew Nanton, 51 Division Chief Stewart, and a lot of members wanted to hear from him and have Andrew give his platform. Joining me in the studio today is Andrew. How you doing, buddy? Uh, good. How are you, bro? I'm doing, I'm doing really well. Good. Thanks for having me. So the election coming up, obviously I've sat in the chair. I have a very strong opinion about how things should be run. Dealing with the media is a big part of it because it is a daily exercise in protecting, you know, the TPA slogan, we protect those who protect others. So people want to hear from you, Andrew. They want to find out exactly what you're going to stand for. You're very well known out there. There's no doubt about it. I've asked you to come on because the members came to me and said, listen, can you get Andrew on? We want to hear from him. And I know during the campaign, you get to see everybody. How do you feel? How do you feel going into tomorrow? I feel very good. I have a very strong team supporting me. Not only am I running, I have Paul Van Cedars is going to be running as a vice presidential candidate as a part of our team. We also are going to have Craig Lowry running as a civilian director. All three of us will be uh, running against the incumbents on the board. I truly believe that these are very fast changing times in policing. We haven't seen something like this so bad in years. And it's time that we start coming out very strong as an association again. I truly believe that we need to become a boots on the ground association that's going to be out there advocating and protecting our members' rights, all our members, all the time. This is just something that, uh, that we need to become more aggressive on because we are under attack from all different stakeholders and decision makers in policing. And some of those people, you know, include our upper management, 
It includes the mayor and some members on city council. You know, just last year, we had eight of them vote to defund the police, and another eight of them voted to disarm the police to actually take our weapons away, which is very dangerous. And I think that they should owe their constituents an explanation for that. These are very fast-changing times, and we need an aggressive association that's going to be at the forefront of these issues, that's going to protect our members at all costs. That is what we are. That is the main function of our association is to protect our members. And pretty much it's the only function because your only audience, as I looked at this, the only audience are the members. Communities out there, the uh, citizens, the mayor, the chief have to worry about stuff like that. That's not your job. And that's any board member with any police union. Their only function is to protect those members. And in Toronto, it's like 8,000 people. You know, defunding is still an issue out there. It has not gone away. Defunding the police in Toronto. I understand there are over 100 recommendations of defunding the police in some type of form or changing law enforcement at City Hall right now in Toronto at the mayor's desk. Yeah, there are. And these are causing significant issues of physical safety for our members. Creates a lot of officer safety issues because with this, you're talking about laying off members, reducing the size of the police force, which is going to create public safety issues which in turn creates officer safety issues. It impacts the mental well-being of our officers, constantly being under attack by these decision makers in policing. And when we talk about the mental safety, and not only do we have these recommendations, we have the Ontario Association of Chiefs of Police coming out not very long ago, talking about drastically cutting off or reducing the benefits of the members, people who are off with PTSD. And this is absolutely outrageous because our chief, as well as the deputies, are a part of this Ontario Association of Chiefs of Police. And one thing I would like to see them do is come out and denounce this position that the OACP has taken because we see all of these command officers on Twitter. They're wearing their green epaulets. They're using their hashtags when it comes to mental health awareness and PTSD awareness. And if they don't want to come out and denounce this position, then I don't want to see them talking about mental health anymore, because then I truly don't believe that they care. That's part of my platform is that I want to bring how we deal with mental health in-house to the Toronto Police Association. We need our own program where we get back once again to the root of why we exist, and that is to take care of our members and their families. And I believe that would best be done in-house at the Toronto Police Association, and I have a plan for that. I want to bolster the member benefits director's portfolio to make sure that we can look after all our people. That's what, that's what we do. This day and age of law enforcement with a big city like Toronto and policing it, where do you put the mental health situation right now with, with, with your members? Where, where is that? Like, it's always been an issue. Let's talk about the old days. It was, you didn't have the help. It was, you know, macho up, you know, go home, don't worry about it. It is a massive, it was a massive issue back then, but even now it's forefront right now. And how bad is the mental health situation within law enforcement in the, in the city of Toronto? It is concerning. It is something that I believe is becoming more prevalent as the times go on. I hear the stories from our members. They call me, they message me, they reach out to me for help because oftentimes they don't know where else to turn. I truly believe that we really need to start getting ahead of this now i do think that uh you know we look at you know what causes these things in our members and it's not only the everyday 
critical incidents that they deal with. But I believe a lot of it is the internal politics that's happening when it comes to members who are being investigated for political things that are at the forefront of the news. They are very heavily mistreated during these investigations. This is where we have to take care of our members. There's no need to treat somebody disrespectful or like uh, they are worse than a criminal when they are being investigated for police act matters that are of public interest. And, you know, no matter where you work, something bad happens, a negative story about a police officer affects all police officers everywhere. It is a big family. And no matter what happens, what the allegations are, vast majority of the time, officers do get cleared. They go back to work. No matter where it is, it weighs on everybody. It does weigh down heavily on an officer when they're being investigated. The, the clearance rate, uh, without any misconduct being found, is very, very high. A lot of the noise being made is being made by special interest groups that are anti-police. And we have to keep that in mind. When our members are being investigated, that is when they require a very strong association president to come out in support of them publicly not only behind the scenes supporting them, but out there in the public, in the media, representing them, being their voice, because they can't speak out for themselves. They're prohibited in doing so under the Police Services Act, speaking out in public and to the media. And that is when they rely very heavily on their association, and specifically their president, to come out in their defense, to give their side of the story, to stand up for them when nobody else is. And that is exactly what I plan to do. We have to have a strong association that's going to stand up to our chief, that's going to stand up to our Toronto Police Services Board, that's going to stand up to our mayor and the city councillors that are against us, and to the media that's portraying us in the wrong light. That is what we need a strong association for, is to be able to communicate with these individuals, to advocate for our members very strongly, and to make sure that our members' rights are always protected. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the four groups. The command, police service board, the mayor and city council, and and some parts of the media, actually the majority of the media now with law enforcement, those are the groups that are going to affect your member in a negative way. And as the president of the association, you don't deal with the police officer of the year and all the awards. You only deal with the negative side of law enforcement or your board of directors. And those four groups are the ones that are going to decide the welfare professionally and personally over and over again. You know, everybody always talks about police accountability, uh, you know, accountability of our members, but nobody ever talks about accountability of these politicians and nobody ever talks about accountability of our police services board and nobody ever talks about accountability of our command. And that is exactly what I plan to do is I plan to hold these stakeholders and these decision makers in policing accountable. If they're going to put the magnifying glass on our members, we need to put the magnifying glass on them when they do something wrong, because it's been so one-sided for years, and it's causing a lot of issues amongst our members. And I think that these are very exciting times. What I'm hearing with the members in terms of a big, strong change in our leadership at the Toronto Police Association. Now, let me ask you a question. I probably should ask this right off the bat. Why are you running? I am running because I have seen the way in which our members have been portrayed in the media. I have seen how many of our members have been treated so unfairly for so long, whether it be in professional standards investigations or criminal investigations by our SIU. And I truly believe that their voice has not been properly represented. 
unfortunately now, as always has been, but even more now, the size of the political decisions being made against police officers and the civilian members also. Absolutely. It's so high right now. Absolutely. And, you know, we have a plan for that. As president, one of the first things I plan to do is I want to start a political action committee up at the Toronto Police Association where we are going to hold our politicians accountable, where we are once again going to become involved in the elections of our officials in the city and the province. I think it's important because these officials involve themselves in our lives, in our careers, in our jobs, and our everyday decisions. And I believe that it's only fair that we hold them accountable come election time and that we support those who support us and that we come out against those who have not been in favor of the police. You know, with myself and before and then after, the president of the TPA, which is probably the top position in the country, one of the top three or four in North America, would be in front of the media quite a bit. And to get ahead of it and put out the messages that, hey, we're not putting up with this. We know what's going on behind the scenes. We're going to keep the people honest. And that was almost on a daily basis, over and over and over again. You know, we did look at the broken window effect where, you know, no matter how minor, we're coming in with a, with a team, big team. That's exactly it. I mean, there is no small thing when it comes to policing. There is no such thing as just a small minor investigation because everything has the potential to snowball if it's not looked after properly if the member is not properly represented and protected by its association. So we need to be heavily engaged, not only in the big, large-scale investigations with the SIU and professional standards, but we need to be involved on the small-scale investigations as well to make sure that you know we deal with, as you said, you know the broken window effect. Last year, for example, we had the uh, balcony incident in 12 Division where Regis Korczynski-Paquette fell to her death. And... This is something where we needed to come out very strong at the get-go in support of our members because they did nothing wrong. This is something that continues to plague our members and not just the officers involved, but it plays very heavily on all the officers out there on the streets. You know, when we have somebody like Andrea Horvath putting out a tweet that it's the one-year anniversary of Regis's murder, that's completely unacceptable. Comments like that need to be put in check. Politicians like her need to be held accountable. You can't just go around and slander our officers and call it murder. They have been cleared of any criminal wrongdoing. And the fact that this language is still being used when it comes to these sort of situations, we need to get on top of that. We need to make sure that they are held to account for their comments. And we really need to start getting in front of it. So, Andrew, one of the positions of the president is to run the bargaining, any bargaining unit for when the contracts come up, president picks his own team, lawyers, and I could see the next round within a couple of years. Yeah. It's going to be tough. 2023 Uh, is going to be our next round of bargaining. Which is during, during your term. It will be during this term. So, cost of living, four and a half percent right now. It's being estimated that it could be five or six percent next year that's falling back a lot it's going to be hard to get a five or six percent raise every year to catch up because this is all catch up now it's two years behind by the time you start bargaining again and i think everybody's going to be looking at the same way you're not going to be able to walk in with your hand out to beg 
for an increase because the defunding issue is still out there. How aggressive and what's your plan for bargaining the next round, which is going to come quick. It might be two years, but you're going to have to start six months before. So let's 18 months from now. How are you going to handle bargaining being president of the TPA, knowing that you're going to be falling so far behind just with cost of living? Well, exactly. I mean, and we need to start being more proactive. You know, we're not going to wait for six months or a year or 18 months before bargaining to start preparing. I have a plan to begin an ongoing bargaining committee. This ongoing bargaining committee will hit the ground running right away in preparation for our 2023 negotiations. Our priorities are going to be always to make sure that our members are the highest paid in the province and in the country. Over the last 10 years, we have lost a significant amount of benefits for our members. Uh, you know, whether it be health benefits, whether it be sick bank benefits, whether it be retirement benefits, they have all declined drastically over the last several contract negotiations. And that also has to be at the forefront for our members. We need to make sure that our members are taken care of, that their families are taken care of. They're out there doing a very difficult job every day. And we need to make sure that they are being properly looked after at the bargaining table. We're going to come out very strong. We're going to have a very strong bargaining team at that table. Yeah. So let's go, let's quickly walk through this. The mayor, I assume is still going to be John Tory. The command's a puppet at this point when it comes to negotiations. It's the police service board, the chair, and the mayor, city council, his executive committee. They come to you and say, forget it. We're going to give you zero across the board. And you know what, Andrew? We don't appreciate your style. We think you're too aggressive. This is two years from now. Pretty much, fuck you. We ain't going to do it. What's the plan? Well, a part of the ongoing bargaining committee will also be our job action committee. This job action committee will be planning for any potential job actions that we may need, not only during bargaining, but at any time. We will be ready to go. We will be ready to launch job actions that are required. Yeah, we're not talking ball caps and t-shirts here, are we? No, definitely not. I mean, uh, you know, those are more symbolic. We would be looking at job actions that would produce results and that would make sure that we catch the attention of the decision makers in policing. Because there's a good chance, no matter who's in the chair across the board, that there there are going to be zeros and maybe even worse sent unless they take a group like the TPA very serious. Well, exactly. And that's something that I'm going to make sure that's going to be at the table is that they're going to know that we're serious, that they know that we are going to once again become a very powerful organization, a very powerful association, and that we are going to advocate for our members very strongly. It would be a very big mistake of them to come out with 0%, for example. I mean, there will be a mass exodus of police officers from this city. They will go to other services because why, why would they bother? Why, are they, why would they get paid less to do more when they could go to another city, another service and get paid more to do less and not have the politicians sharpening their knives when they turn around? Yeah, and it's even easy to move to another service now because 90% of your members live outside the city of Toronto. They don't live in the 416 area, so it's easy to move to another service. You don't even have to move. Yeah, exactly. And I don't blame them for living outside the city. Crime rates are starting to climb again. Injection sites are popping up all over the city. They're very dangerous. The people that it's attracting to the communities are very dangerous and very violent individuals who don't care about public safety. And our members have to go in and deal with these individuals. They started these homeless hotel shelters 
Almost all of them were popped right downtown in 51 Division. Very dangerous, takes up a lot of the police time. You know, I feel sorry for some of the people that live down there. And these politicians have made these decisions to put the, put these things down there. Let's talk about your civilian members. You were a civilian with the service at the beginning of your career. Yep. And I know they're very important to you. Uh, you have a lot of support there. I hear it. When it comes to running a service, you know, your frontline personnel, they're the group people see all the time driving around in the scout car and all that. Yep. But the civilian members are really the ones that keep it together for a service. They are. I started my career as a civilian member. I was a special constable as a court officer, started off at Old City Hall, went to 361 University. I have maintained many of those friendships over the years. I keep in close contact. I listen to their concerns, and they have not changed since I've started the job. I've now just begun my 15th year of policing. You know, we have to start looking after our civilian members. For example, we have our communications operators. They do an incredible job every day, a very difficult job every day. They are never seen out in the public. They are the ones taking the 911 calls. They are the ones dispatching us. They are severely understaffed. The turnover rates are very high, which is very dangerous for even the public safety aspect of this. We have people that are in the queue on a 911 call on hold for several minutes. Imagine calling for an emergency where you need the police right away and you're getting the busy tone where you have to remain on hold just to speak to the call taker before they send out a police car to be dispatched to this. These are all things that need to be addressed. These are the individuals that we need to support, not only when it comes to you know the, uh, the staffing issues, but when it comes to mental health, when it comes to their financial situation. We have, for example, our special constables in this city, their, uh, their pay parity doesn't match that of other special constables in the city of Toronto. They are paid a lot less than special constables who do far less in other areas. And of course, our parking enforcement officers. These are individuals who are going out there. They are being asked to do a very difficult job where members of the public are very hostile towards them. They are not equipped properly. Assaults on these officers continue to rise every year due to the lack of respect that the public has towards them. And they're just doing their job. They're just out there doing the job that the service is sending them out to do, that the mayor and the city and council want them to do, which is essentially to to enforce the parking laws to keep traffic moving in this city. It's called money. Bring so, money into the city. Well, I would say they are they are one of the biggest revenue generators for the service and for the city. And, you know, we can't be sending out our members out there into the public not being able to defend themselves against aggressive and assaultive individuals. I remember another special group I admired, and we're busy with them, was court services also. I mean, it's just, it can be a real shit job, but they do it. They're very professional. Great group of people that do that job also. Yeah, and that's exactly where I started. And their issues have not changed over the years. I talk with them daily. My civilian director, Craig Lowry, he is a special constable. He's a court officer as well. And there's another area where the members are not given the proper tools to do their jobs, to keep the people safe who are coming to these courthouses every day. So we need to make sure that, that we have their backs, that we ensure that they're properly protected, and to ensure that they have everything they need to stay safe and to get home safely to their families as well. We need to make sure that our members, even in those areas, are the highest paid 
in the country because we are the busiest and we are the best. Yeah, obviously, your style is going to be much more aggressive than what's going on now or in the last few years, which I admire you for. The members that, you know, I've always said there's 20%. They don't want anything to do with unions. They'd rather keep getting promoted. These are people that want to be the chief one day, and they don't worry about the union until they get in trouble. Once they get in trouble, they're phony. 80% of the strength is a, a group of people that really believe in the union and think it's important. And within that 80%, there's still a group that don't want to see your aggressive style. They'd rather have a pacifist in power, somebody that's just going to stay behind the scenes, wait till the shit hits the fan, then let's act instead of being very proactive. What do you say to them when they just don't want to see the aggressiveness? To those members, I say, I understand the importance of having open lines of communication and negotiating in a positive and respectful manner with all the stakeholders involved in policing. But sometimes they are making decisions that negatively impact our members, that bring harm to our members. And those are the times where we need a strong association, a strong board of directors, a strong president who is going to come out, who is going to challenge these decisions, who's going to challenge these stakeholders, who's going to hold them accountable. And I truly believe that we can't continue on the path of just passively letting things go because it creates larger issues down the road. It weakens our membership. I guess your running mate, Paul Van Cedars, 52 division officer, great guy. I've known Paul for many, many years. Solid as they come complete team player, running for VP. This is a guy that's going to have the members back and have your back also. Absolutely. I wouldn't want to have anybody else beside me as my running mate. I truly believe he is the best person for the job. He is going to be right beside me at the bargaining table in 2023. Nobody has the life and career experience like Paul does over his last 40 years as a police officer and also as a civilian member as well combined into that. He is a very well-respected officer by all his peers. With him at my side, he will bring the added weight that our association needs. So with Paul there, obviously a uh, good choice is backup. There's no doubt about it. He's proven that over the last 40 years. Let's briefly talk about the media. I think the first Rolodex, whether you get along with it or not, it should be the reporters in the city, probably a dozen of them, covering all aspects of the media, whether it's print, radio, television, social media. How are you going to change when you become president when it comes to dealing with the media? Well, like I said, we, you know, we are going to become a boots on the ground association where we are going to be out at these large scale scenes, these SIU investigations. We are going to be at the scenes. We are going to be at the stations. We are going to start holding live press conferences when it comes to these matters in the media. I will be an accessible president to the media because not only do they need to have a full account of what happened, but our members deserve a president that is going to be out there in the forefront, standing in front of them, protecting them so that they could do their jobs properly and that they can have a voice. So you're going to give your cell phone to the reporters? Absolutely. They're not always going to agree with you, but you're going to give the facts because I got to remind everybody, whether you're the president or a board member up at the association, a association, especially in Toronto, you're seconded up there. You're no longer a police officer. You're not governed under the police act anymore. You can do and say whatever you want. Obviously, you don't want to get sued. You want to make it, but you want to get the truth out there. You don't have to sit back and not talk because say the SIU has evoked their mandate or not. 
you're up there as a civilian member. You don't have the power. You're not governed under the police act anymore. You're paid by your members. So even if they wanted to charge you under the police act, how are they going to collect it? Cause you don't get paid by the city anymore. Exactly. Are you going to take advantage of that and be front and center to make sure that there is no fear of repercussions against you or your board? Yeah. And exactly for that reason, I'm not afraid of any repercussions when it comes to speaking out on behalf of our members. They're not allowed to do it themselves. And that's what we are there for. That's what the president is there for, to give their version of events, to defend them, to get their side of the story out there. And that is exactly what I plan to do. And I am not going to hold back on giving our members account of what happened, especially if it's going to help with not only public perception, but most importantly, officer safety. So let's, let's go back. You mentioned the incident in 12 Division. Unfortunately, a woman died, fell off a balcony. There was accusations of murder right off the bat that the officers actually picked her up and threw her. There was independent witnesses, videos that that did not happen. She actually fell. Within 24 hours, SIU and other people had that information, including the command. Yes. City Hall. They had that information. They were gagged. Nothing came from the police association, which they had the power to do it. Let's go back. How would you have handled that if you were the president? I would have immediately gotten the truth out there in regards to what happened without getting into specific details. You know, there's nothing wrong with going out there and saying that our officers did nothing wrong and that she fell and that our officers were nowhere near her at the time and that the truth will come out. They will see it. Now, you know, the situation would be completely different if it happened today. We've started to roll out body-worn cameras into the city. All officers will be equipped fully by the end of this year, all frontline officers that are out there in the streets. But right now, there's still two concerning issues when it comes to body-worn cameras. When it comes to the SIU, the SIU is the only one that's going to have the power to release that body-worn camera footage during those investigations. And we all know that that's not going to happen, especially if it's going to benefit our members and their version of events. And secondly, the chief is the only one that can release the body-worn camera footage to the media and to the public for other high-profile incidents that do not involve the SIU. I have a full plan. I want to lobby our provincial government, Doug Ford, to make changes to the new Police Services Act, which is the COPS Act, to force the SIU to release this body-worn camera footage in under 24 hours in these high-profile incidents such as this, especially because by remaining silent, you know, we become contributors to the potential civil unrest that can follow. And we not only need to keep the citizens safe by releasing this footage and showing the truth of what happened, but we also need, most importantly, to protect our officers and keep them safe because they're the ones that are going to have to go down and police these protests. And if we can release these videos, and we can stop protesters from coming down because they realize that the story that was given was simply not true, then we've done our job as an association. It's been brought to my attention the last month that the, the decision makers that will bring harm or injustice to police officers and the civilian members do not want you to win, whether it's the mayor, the command. You know, this is coming from other jurisdictions, large police services in the GTA. Yes. And they've made it clear they do not want you, and they're afraid of you winning. That's the crowd that do not want you to win. So the opposite of you is somebody that will, I guess, get too close or too cute with those decision makers. And this is a day and age. The union board, police union board and president, should be completely independent of any of these groups moving forward. So it's been brought to my attention. 
And I'd love to get them on the show if I could to make the comment they're making to me that they are scared to death of you winning because they know you're going to do the job the way it should be done. Are you concerned about that at all moving forward during this election? I'm not concerned at all. In fact, I think that's the way it should be. At the end of the day, they're not the ones that get to decide who is going to be the next president of the Toronto Police Association. They do not have a vote. They do not have a say in the composition of our board of directors. With that being said, I have no problem working in a positive way with them when it comes to the best interest of our members, but I will come out very strongly and I will challenge them in defense of our members to make sure that we are once again always doing the right thing for our people. Last year for the by-elections, I was the only candidate that was not allowed inside police headquarters to campaign, something that has never been done before. A superintendent made it very clear that I was not allowed in the building. And there goes a couple hundred members for me to access. So they have tried to put the brakes on me. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up. I truly believe that we need a strong president. We need a stronger association that's not going to be afraid to take these individuals to task. So, Andrew, I'm very impressed. Your leadership skills are through the roof. There's no doubt in my mind you would have every one of your members, no matter what their position is with the service, you'll have their back. They're going to want you there. I know that you're going to put together a phenomenal team, including lawyers, the proper board, stewards. I wish you all the luck. I think you are the right choice for this at this time. Timing's everything in life. And I think your timing's right right now. And I think a lot of people believe in you. I know that. I know you have the experience to do this. You're, you're living it right now. You're on that scout card driving around, knowing exactly what the board of directors of the TPA should be doing. That's right. I am out there on the front lines. I am working on the front lines in this current climate that we are in today. I know firsthand what our members are going through, and I know exactly what they need from their association, and that is exactly what I plan to do. I plan to give this association back to our members. Appreciate you coming in. Go to infoatcopfather.com. If you hear that people are colluding with the decision makers and making sure that Andrew does not become president of the TPA, let me know. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, everybody, for listening in, and we will talk to you soon. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.